like last story, the following story is told by the previous Rebbe in Sefer HaZechreinus. And uh, the story was heard by the Alter Rebbe's father, Rebohu. Alter Rebbe's father heard this from a young man by the name Shmuel Nachum, whom he heard, who he met in the city of Dobra Missal. This young man, Shmuel Nachum, was a learned Thomas, a Talmud Chachem, and he learned in the yeshiva in Dubrovne when he was a young bacher. And this Shmuel Nachum told the Alter Rebbe's father, Rebbe this following amazing story about this young Porush, as you'll hear now. Shmuel Nachum describes that when he was a boy, he was uh, 16, 17 years old, he decided to go to yeshiva to study in Dubrovne. Dubrovne had a big yeshiva. In order to be accepted in the yeshiva, you had to first get a test. You have to be tested to be accepted in that yeshiva. It was a very important yeshiva, and not everybody could get in there, but you had to be tested first. So when he arrived in Dubrovna, he thought, okay, I can't get into the yeshiva yet because they haven't accepted me yet. So I'll go in one of the shuls and sit and learn and prepare for my test. He met in Dubrovna a shamish, uh, that his name was Avram Moshe. He was a shamish of a shul that was called the Shul of the Old Parush. A Parush is a Jew in olden days. There used to be Jews that were so uh, holy that they, they wouldn't have anything to do with the physical world. They would close their eyes and shut their ears with, with plugs or something, or cotton wool, so they wouldn't hear anybody talking. And they would just learn and daven all day, day and night. They would stay in the shul. They would sleep there. And they would eat maybe once a day. People would bring them a piece of bread and water, and that's what they would eat. They're called a porush. Porush means somebody who's completely divorced, separated from the physical world. He had nothing to do with the physical world. All he wanted is to connect with Hashem through Torah and Tefillah. That's all he did all day. And they didn't talk to anybody. They didn't look at anything. They had their eyes shut the whole time. And um, they would just sit there and they never move. Sleep on that bench, sit on that bench, daven there, learn there. When they had to go to the bathroom, then somebody would help them and walk with them to the bathroom because they couldn't see. They wouldn't want to see anything. Now, some of those pushing were true great tzaddikim. And some of them, eh, they thought they were going to be great tzaddikim. They, they felt special. They had a little bit of gaiva. And the Baal Shem Tov used to make fun of them. And, or he would uh, tell them that what they're doing is not right. Shem doesn't like what they're doing. Because they're doing it for their own personal COVID. Right? They want to feel great. So they think that if they are going to be pushing, that means they're great, great tzaddikim. And so that's not what Hashem wants. Anyways, this shul was called the shul of the old par of the old parush. Avraham Moshe advised this young Bachesh Mulnachum that while he waits to be accepted in the yeshiva, he should come to that little shul where he Avraham Moshe is the shamishav, and uh, and he should come and die, and there he can learn as it learn, and uh, until he is accepted to the yeshiva. When he came into the shul, he saw an old man, Reb Chaim, and ever called him, everybody called him Reb Chaim the Parush. Apparently, this Reb Chaim was one of the Pushim, 
one of those Pogit Purushim that used to completely separate themselves from the world. They didn't talk to anybody, they didn't listen to anybody. They just were in their own world. They would daven and learn and close their ears and their eyes and they wouldn't see anything and they wouldn't see anybody. And that's how they were always connected to Hashem. So Shmuel Nachum thought that the shul was called this, the shul of the old parish because of this Reb Chaim. It was an old parish that was sitting here for many years. So the Ramayishi told him, no, 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 no. This shul has a story that goes back 80, 90 years ago. 80, 90 years ago, there was an amazing story behind this shul, and this is the story of Ramayishi told him. There was a boy in Dubrovna. His name was Faivish Henech. Faivish Henech was a young boy who showed great Yerashamayim. He seemed to be, even as an early child, like he had a lot of Yerashamayim. Tried to do mitzvahs very special in a perfect way, davening with Kavana. Unfortunately, Faivish Henech wasn't able to learn a lot of Torah. His head didn't have a good head. And Gemara can be hard, and he wasn't able to understand the difficult Gemaras. So he spent most of his day saying to Hillem. And he said to him with such joy, you could see he's enjoying it, but such geschmack and joy. And, and, and he, he literally would say it with great excitement, and you could feel like his whole neshama was into it. He said the words with such passion. He was so excited when he said the words of Tilim. Every word he said so clearly. And so he also had a very beautiful voice. So he would like sing the Tilim. He would sing it with a special tune. And he also, this Shafai Vishenech happened to be like tall, healthy, looked very nice and big. I mean like, he looked like very healthy. And um, he just didn't care about the physical things, about his body, but he only cared about Hashem and saying to him, and he felt so close to Hashem when he said to him, the shul and the entire day and most of the night were echoing. Now what echoing means, you could hear the sound of his voice the entire day. He never stopped saying it. He closed his eyes. Well, before he closed his eyes, this is when he was a little boy still. He would say to Hillem all day long, and he would like, you could hear when he was saying certain Pokim to Hillem, he would say it with such joyous voice. And then when he came to certain Pokim after Hillem, we should talk about sad things, David the Melech crying out to Hashem that he's in trouble and his enemies want to hurt him. So you could hear in the voice of Henech, Faivish Henech, how he was like, his voice became like very sad and bitter, and he was like pleading with Hashem. You could hear what the, the Perik is about based on the type of voice that he was saying those words. When Faivish Henoch became 16 years old, he decided that he's not just going to say Tillam all day, he's just going to become a parush. He's going to separate himself from all the physical pleasures of the world. He's going to close his eyes with a big um, cloth, a handkerchief, tie his eyes up so he wouldn't be able to see anything or anyone. He's going to stuff up his ears so he wouldn't hear anybody talking. And also his nostrils, his nose, 
stuff up his nose so he wouldn't be able to smell any food. He wouldn't have any connection to the physical world and no pleasures in the physical world. All he wanted to do is say to Hillam with great, great geschmack and joy. And that's all he loved doing. And that's what he did. He knew all of the Hillam Balpeh. He knew all of the davenings from all the Tfilah, Shabbos, Yontem. He knew them all Balpeh. And all he did is just stand there and say Tillam all day. And when it came time to daven, he davened. That's all he did. He stood in one corner in the shul and he never moved from there. At night, he fasted every day and only ate at night a piece of bread and a little bit of water. That was his only meal during the day. On Shabbos, Friday night, he would make Kiddush on bread. He wouldn't drink wine. And he ate a little bit more than every night because it's Shabbos. And also during the day of Shabbos, he ate a little bit of bread, a little bit more than, than usual because it's Shabbos Kiddush. More than that, he didn't eat anything, not on Shabbos, not on Yontif, just an extra piece of bread and some water. He also slept very little. As much as he could, he would just daven and daven and say to Hillem all the time. He made sure that his body didn't enjoy any physical pleasure. And everybody was surprised that his body was still very strong. Can you imagine somebody who hardly eats like him, fasts every day, only eats a piece of bread, and he wasn't skinny, he was like pretty strong, he looked tall, he looked good, he looked strong. He was, nobody, you couldn't see on his body that he was fasting like this. And that's what he did for many years. His name became famous in all of the Bravna, and not only in the Bravna, but all the cities and the towns around the Bravna. Everybody heard about this posh, this boy, who is from 16 years old, didn't hear, didn't look at anything, and he's just in his own corner, davening, 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 saying to him all day and most of the night. Even the Goyim in the villages around the Bravna have heard about the amazing sweetness by which this boy says to Hillem every day. People would come and listen to his Tehillim, and when they heard the happy voice, they would like become very joyous. And when they heard him, you know, say the words of Tehillim with a sad voice and begging Hashem, they would begin to cry because it was so moving. He had such a sweet voice. When you would say something in Tehillim, you could feel what the words were saying. And people would start crying whenever he was sad. And it was a sad peric of Tehillim. The Goyim even loved listening. They would come outside the shul and stay behind the wall and listen to him say the Tehillim. Now, not far from Dubrovna, there was a big, um, an estate. That means a big land and pal and a big mansion and a lot of land that was owned by a Poritz. That Poritz was famous for his being an anti-Semite. He hated Jews. He was very hateful to Jews. This despicable Poritz who hated Jews had one day this brilliant idea that he is going to bring that famous Porush, right? that young man, that boy, that I don't know, maybe at that time he was already 20, or maybe a little older, but everybody talks about him. Even the Goyim said that what an amazing boy he is. He just reads the Tehillim all day. He doesn't care about food. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about anything in the physical world. He's like an Ishama in Ganeidin, davening to Hashem the whole time. 
and his voice was so sweet, even the Goyim were amazed by it. And this poet said, ha ha, he said, nah, this is, the guy is nuts, he's crazy. Who in the world shuts their eyes with a handkerchief and stuffs up their ears and their nose and, and, and all they do is just say words and sing to, to some invisible Hashem that you can't see? I mean, this kid is a little crazy. Let's have fun. You know, in those days, the Poritzes, who were anti-Semites, they hated Jews, they would often grab a Jew and they would make a big party and invite all their friends, the Goyim Poritzim from the surrounding villages, and they would put the Jew on a stage and they would make him dance. They would tell him, you must dance or else we're going to beat you up. And the Jew had to dance and then they would make him dance certain dances like a Cossack which the Jew wasn't able to do, and it looked so funny when he tried to dance like a Cossack. And they would all laugh and laugh, and that was so much fun for, the, for these anti-Semite goyim. This poet had an idea. Oh, this is this crazy kid that everybody talks about. I'm going to bring him to my palace. I'm going to invite all my friends. We're going to put him on a stage, and we're going to make him dance and do all kinds of funny things. And we're going to have such an amazing time. We're going to be laughing our heads off. It's going to be so much fun. Well, the poet decided to carry out his dream. He invited everybody with a big party, with music and food in his house, and, and hundreds of paprizim and, and their children and their wives. Everybody came to have fun in this poet's house and palace. He told one of his servants to go to the Brovna nearby and bring this Porsche, that famous Porsche that hasn't moved out of that shul for many years. You grab him and bring him to me here and we're going to have some fun with him. We're going to make him do things that are going to be so laughable. We're all going to have so much fun. So his servant went to the Bismedrish, to the Brovna, came to the Bismedrish where the Porsche was sitting and he said to him with great excitement, and this shliach, this messenger of the Porritz, when he heard the voice of the Porritz, suddenly was gripped with such fear. He was so terrified. He couldn't move. He said, wow. This is like he couldn't believe what he was hearing. He heard such a sweet voice davening to Hashem. It's like he doesn't know why. He felt afraid to approach the Porritz. He didn't even dare to go inside the door. He just heard the voice of the Porsche from outside the shul, and he couldn't get inside. He says, this is too much. This, this, this is like so awesome, so amazing. He couldn't, he couldn't do this. <clears throat> so um, he went back to the Porritz, his master, and told him, you, know, you don't understand, we're talking about a very holy person. You can't even get close to him. Because when you hear him say what he says, the Tehillim, the, the Hebrew stuff, you know, these prayers, it is so powerful. I, you, you like feel like this awe of Hashem. You can't even come close to him. And he says, I, I wouldn't dare to hurt this, this Parush. He seems like such a tzaddik. I want to respect him. And not when the Parush heard that, he flew into an anger, a rage, and he said to this, you dare not to listen to me? I told you, you must bring this Porsche here to my, to my palace, to my courtyard. And you didn't bring him. And he said, aha, I'm going to give you the punishment I give to everyone who doesn't listen to me. Fifteen lashes in public. 
so everybody would hear and see what it means not to listen to me. I am the boss and everybody has to listen to me. Well, and he said, you know what? The poet said, I'm going to do this in public. I'm going to make it in front of everyone. And he sent out messengers on horses with trumpets to call everybody in the area must come to the palace because the king, the poets, is going to give lashes to this servant who didn't listen to him and everybody should come and watch. The poets had, meanwhile, someone build a, a big, large stage and in the stage... He was going to, um, is going to lash the, the this, this servant, and he's going to give him fifteen lashes. Normally, the way it would happen, if somebody didn't listen to the poets, and he would have his people lash him. He had special people that were strong people, and they would give lashes, very strong lashes, with a very nasty whip that could hurt the body so badly that after the first three lashes, the body would turn red with blood and people would feel the pain. It would be torturous. By the time all the lashes were given to the person, 15 lashes, the person was like almost unconscious. He could barely walk. He was in such pain. And then the poets made these people who were punished with these 15 lashes because they didn't listen to him. He would make them crawl while they were bleeding he would make them crawl to him and kiss his shoes. Right? Because they couldn't stand on their feet. And then they would take them on a bed to their houses, these servants, so they could recover, recuperate, and become and, and heal because they were like totally half unconscious. And this would happen usually. But here in this case, when they started giving lashes to this servant who said he cannot approach this parush, he has too much respect for him. He was so impressed with his Tehillim that he felt like this awe, this terrible fear of going over to him. So the poets took him and gave him 15 cents to the people. They should give him 15 lashes in front of the poets, in front of everyone. And surprise, surprise. The lashes did nothing to his body. They lashed him one, two. So the poets thought maybe the guys who give the lashes are not strong enough. And maybe the lashes, the, the whip is also not strong enough. He made him bring a new whip, which was really strong and nasty and hurtful. And he told him to bring other people that can lash, stronger people. And they told him that with all their strength, they should beat this Mishat. But nothing helped. His body didn't show any signs of bleeding or wounds of red, red signs. And he didn't even scream. It's as if he didn't feel anything. And when they finished all the 15 lashes, he just stood up like as if nothing happened. He went down on his knees to kiss the shoes of the parrots, as the parrots requested. But he went home like a normal person. Everybody was surprised. How did that happen? But the parrot said to send more messengers, a whole bunch of uh, guards and soldiers and officers to go and catch the... The, 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 the young, the young Parush. The poet sent a bunch of soldiers, as I said, to the Dubrovna, to the Shul, to catch the Parush. And he said, even if you have to force him, just drag him with your hands and put him into the wagon and bring him here. No, they had a stage where they beat the previous Misharis, the previous uh, servant of the, of the Parits, and they were going to use this stage to put uh, five-ish henech on that 
on that, on that uh, stage and make him dance and do funny things. So they're all waiting for the soldiers to bring the, the Polish here. Now, when those soldiers and those guards and officers came to the shoal, they, they don't know what happened. Um, and they, they came back. They came back with empty-handed, without the Polish. The Polish got very angry. Instead, what? And um, what happened? So the head of the officers that went to catch the, to bring the Polish said to the Polish, I'll tell you why we didn't bring him. He says, it's impossible to get close to him. Well, we, I'll tell you what happened. When we came to the shoal, we found the Polish where his sweet voice was singing so loud and beautifully all the words of their, their Tehillim. And his words went into our bones, into our kishkes. We felt like, wow, this is amazing words. We felt something deep inside of us, like an awe, a fear of Hashem. When I got closer to him, to the Porush, and I saw that he was sitting with closed eyes, his eyes were tied up with a, with a piece of cloth, and he's singing his davening, and he didn't hear that anybody was here around him. He didn't notice anybody. So I became filled with respect for him. He was dressed in a talus on his head, and he also had these black boxes on his head and on his arm, that fell in, obviously. And but nevertheless, I decided to go over to him and tell him that you told us to bring him, that he must come with us. But I tell you, I tried to talk to him, but my voice became frozen, and my feet froze, I couldn't move. So then the poet says, so what happened in the end? It says, I took my whip and I thought I will make a, make a, a I'll lash the whip in the air so you would hear the noise. It makes a lot of noise. When you take your whip and put it through the air, like make a quick lash through the air. It makes like a strong noise. Maybe he'll wake up and he'll look at us. And I'll tell him he must come with us. But he didn't hear a thing. He was so deep into his mirrors and his singing of Tehillim that he didn't hear a thing. And then my, the other writers, the other officers that were with me, noticed that my hand became frozen. I couldn't move it. They were so scared when they saw this that they started running away. And I started thinking, oh, I'll, I'll leave also if, if my hand can move and my feet can move. And suddenly I was able to move and I was able to leave the shul. But I realized if I stayed there, I wouldn't be able to lift my hand and my feet. I'd be frozen forever. When the Porus heard that story from the head of the officers, the second group that he sent to catch the Porus, he got into a huge uh, rage and anger. And he said, you also are going against my word. And he took the head of the writers, the head of the, of the officers, and told them, told his people to give him 30 lashes. Not 15, but 30 lashes. This time, the lashes really had an effect on the, on, the, on, the, on the officer and his body was bleeding and he was almost unconscious. And the end, he went and kissed the feet and the shoes of the poets, like the poets always will ask people to do. He could barely crawl on his feet because he was so weak. And then they took him home to recover. Finally, the poet says, I will go myself.
right? I will go myself to the Bravna with a bunch of my guards and officers, and I will show everybody that you guys have stupid ideas. He is not a holy person. He's just crazy. He's nuts. No young person ties his eyes and his ears. He is crazy, and I'm going to bring him here. I'm going to show you that you guys are all delusional. You're thinking stupid things. He's not holy. He's not nothing. And he right away, the prophet said to prepare his horses and his people that go with him, his officers, and they all went. Now, the poets invited the Galach of the town to also come with him. Eh, maybe the reason he invited the Galach because he wanted to make a big dramatic thing out of it that the Galach is also coming. Or maybe he was a little bit afraid. Maybe what they're saying is true. And maybe this Polish is actually a magician. He does magic tricks on people. So maybe the Galach will help me undo the magic because the Malach is uh, the Galach. Not the Malach. The Galach is like, um, you know, a Galach. Well, anyways, Biza made the Galach told him, I'm sorry, I'm not going with you. I think you're making a big mistake to starting over this Polish. I've heard a lot about him. He's a very holy person. You're making a mistake. But the Polish says, ah, stupid. I'm going to get him. And when they got to Dubrovna, the Polish um, came into the shul. And they're going to drag the Polish. Now the Rav and the head of the community of Dubrovna, when they heard that the poet himself is coming to the shul to grab the Porsche, they were a little bit of, uh, afraid. What's going to happen? So they told everybody in the city, you must stay home, everybody should stay home, close the doors and close the windows so the guy wouldn't see us, because who knows, you know? If they come to get the Porsche and then they think that we're, 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 it's our fault that they can't get the Porsche, if they see Jews, they're going to start you know, hurting us. So better we all stay home, safe, close our doors, and don't even look outside the window. Only the Rav and a few leaders of the community went to the shul of the old parish, the shul where the, the um, uh, Henech, uh, uh, Five-ish Henech was, was there. And they decided that if the parish comes, they'll go over to the parish and beg him to leave the parish alone and not to bother him. When they came, when the poets arrived, um, he, he took his whip in his hand right away and ready to go and grab the Polish. So the Rov came with a few people from the community, started begging him, please, this is a holy person. Look, he's saying all he's doing is he's not harming anybody. Leave him alone. Listen, listen to how he sings. You'll see that it's so amazing. They, uh, how can you denigrate such a special boy. And the poet says, no, 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 I got to prove once and for all that the guy is a crazy boy. He's just nuts. He's out of his mind. And just to show that he's not afraid and he's not impressed with this crazy boy who's shutting his eyes, he took, um, he started screaming at the, the Polish louder than the Polish could sing. So to make sure that the Polish hears him, but the Polish didn't move as if nothing happened. The Polish didn't even know that he was in danger. He was in a different world. He was just saying, till him. The Polish got so angry, he started, picked up his whip, he started moving it towards the Polish to hit him up, to hit him hard. 
But for a moment, um, it looked like as if the, the, the whip is about to hit the Porush, but suddenly something happened. The whip fell out of the hand of the Porush. His hands collapsed downwards, like without strength. And his whole body started shaking. And then suddenly, he felt this incredible pain in his hand, which he used to hold the whip about to strike the Porush. That hand began to hurt terribly. And he started screaming from such great pain. He started saying, save me, save, save. The Porush didn't hear anything. He didn't even know something was going on around him. He just kept saying, Posig after Posig, Imperik after Perik. <clears throat> the Porush and the people around him that came with him stopped thinking about the Porush. They, they wanted to help the, the, the Porush. The Porush is in pain. He's screaming. He can't take it. He says, it's too much to bear. And he's screaming and screaming on top of his lungs. He can't take it. The pain is too strong. They took him quickly, they put him in the wagon, they went back to his uh, palace, and they didn't know what to do. The Poritz laid sick for six weeks. His entire body was full of pain and suffering. He, man he sent many times special messengers to the Porush, to the Brahmin, to ask him to forgive him, because he saw, he knew that this was because of the Porush. The Porush, because of the Porush, because he wanted to hit the Porush, that's why. He, his hand is in such poor shape when he's dying. His hand is dying. And, and so, but, but they came to tell him that the poet wants to ask forgiveness, but they couldn't get through to him because he was so busy davening, he wouldn't hear anything. So they couldn't ask him. The poets went to many doctors to find some kind of a healing, but nothing worked. It said that the only thing that can save him is to cut off the hand because the hand is so infected that if you let her leave it, it will affect the whole body and it might die. So he said, they want to save his life, you need to cut off his hand. And from that point on, um, nobody bothered the, 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 the Porush anymore. And even the Porush realized, and the people around the Porush, what a great Sadiq this boy is. And the boy didn't even know that anything was happening. In the Bravna, there was a Jew by the name Zundel Moshe. He and his wife never had children. They were married for many years and have children. So his wife came up with an idea. The older women in Dubrovna who don't have children should, should collect money and they should build a new base medrash for five shanach. With a special room attached to the shul where he can have his personal things, his, he can lie down for sleeping sometimes. He have his own private room next to the shul. That show was built in what was called the Cold Street. It's called the Cold Little Street. And that was the show where Shmuel Nocham, the Bacher, who was waiting to be accepted in the yeshiva in Dubrovna, was sitting and learning, and Avram was the shamish there. It so happened that all the Akaris, the women that didn't have children in Dubrovna, got together. They, built, they got money, they raised money. They built a new shul, and they called the shul the shul of the old parush. Because this boy... Faivish Heinach became older and older, and he, for the rest of his life, he was a Polish in that shul and never moved from that place. Now, Avram Moshe, the Shamish, who told Shmuel Nochem this, says that he was one of the children that were born because his mother also didn't have children, and she, because she 
um, <coughs> because she helped in raising the money and helping the parush have what he needs, she had a boy of Omeisha who was the Shamish.